What's up, world? Welcome back to Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do. Hey, I'm Conroy. I'm one of the co-hosts. We got Tony here. Tony, say what's up to people. Yo, what is going on? Let's get more authentic today. You might also hear guests call him Antonio. That's his official name. You can call him Antonio, too. Um, Hey, but hey, shout out to MSW Media for putting us on their platform. Thank you, guys. Also, guys, leave a review. We need a review, Um, especially for this next, this current episode. You're going to want to leave a review because it's fire so let's jump straight to share you're gonna yes for sure share this so let's jump straight in because i'm ready i'm ready let's jump in let's get it what's going on everybody welcome to the another episode of authentically us today we got marvin worthy on the podcast marvin worthy is the owner of Worthy Consulting and Training. He's also the co-founder of Franklin County Racial Reconciliation, and he's got so much more that I'm going to let him tell you uh, what he's about. What's going on, Marvin? How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm just pleased to have the opportunity to hang out with some brothers. Yes, sir. <laughs> Who's amen, getting it amen. in? Yes. Who's getting it in? I'm proud <laughs> of you, man. You know, we don't say that enough to one another, man. I am proud and pleased that you you gave me the invitation to spend some time with you and have some real authentic conversation. And so I'm excited about that. Yes, man. absolutely. That's what we're about here. Uh, tell the people a little bit more about uh, what you do. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> well, you know... Uh, I just get up every day with the intention to pour into the hearts and souls of people, man, in any way that I can. Uh, I obviously lean in the direction of trying to make sure that I can help young people move from promise to purpose. Mm. And whether I have to educate them, teach them, coach them, charge them, or challenge them, that is my life's work to be able to pour into the hearts and souls of others. Why? I'm simply paying it forward, my friends. Somebody dared to care about me and see something in me before I saw it in myself. And so I just owe it to as many people as I come in, I come in contact with to find some way to pour into them uh, and to remind them that if I can, you can for sure. So good. I, and I love that because I feel like that's, it's coming from a genuine place. It's coming from a place of, Hey, this is what I needed when I was when I was your age, or maybe this is what I needed, and now you're able to provide that for other people, and I I love that. Actually, you're at a conference right now, which is which is really cool. Could you talk about the conference you're at, and and like what are you sharing at this conference? You know, I, the first time I came to this conference was in 1993, the Black Conference on Higher Education, the Pennsylvania Black Conference on Higher Education. And uh, I was so fortunate that my supervisor at the time, two supervisors, uh, Dr. Jefferson and Dr. Anita Jones, sent me as a young person, young graduate student to this conference and let me go. And so I had to manage myself, network myself, meet people. And so it gave me the opportunity to really practice the skills uh, that I had. And and really, quite honestly, 
take full advantage of building relationships with people. You know, relationship, I'm, I'm going to say this, relationships is everything. Everything. Because you don't know who's in the room. You know, you're looking for an answer to a difficult question, it could be in the room. If you're looking to find your way to the next level, the person may be in the room. If you're looking to be something, there's somebody in the room who's already doing what you're trying to accomplish. And so I believe in building a relationship portfolio. I'm going to meet everybody I possibly can. I'm not talking about just passing a card. I want to ask some questions, take a deeper dive, because the key is what? We need to know each other from the inside out, not the outside in. And the only way you get to know a person, the soul of a person, is through conversation, man. And I just and so this is this has been a wonderful uh, experience for me. I get to come back to the conference and participate. I did a session on microaggressions. You know what are they? What kind of impact do they make? And what's our responsibility to respond to it? Uh, I had a group of people, man, who was amazing. Uh, we engaged in difficult conversation and demanded honest responses. Uh, people was authentic in their experience, in their frustrations. But what we learned at the end, and my hope was that they walked away with this, that it requires all of us, not just some of us, to fight the good fight, but never lose sight of who we are. Mm. Because people don't see us in our authentic selves. It's not our problem. I promise to continue to be who we are because we've earned it. And so it's been fantastic, man just reconnecting with young people. I just love it, man. I just love the opportunity, man, to, 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 to be able to put eyes on young people who demonstrate a brilliance, mm. and a confidence, like you two brothers, man. You know, these stories don't get told. <laughs> See, it's not newsworthy for us to be authentic. It's not newsworthy for us to be brilliant and compassionate. And focused, amazing, artistic. I mean, the list goes on, right? Yeah. That's yeah. who we are. And that's who we always been. Gifted. Born with it. And our job is what? To help young people. I said I say to young people all the time. And when I mean young, I'm 60. So if you're not 60, you young, you young to me. Okay. <laughs> and so so what I'm looking to do is remind us that we're already equipped. We just don't know how to access the brilliance that's inside of us. So our job is to what? First, let them know that they are brilliant. They were born brilliant. Now let me coach you to build a kind of self-confidence so you can access what you already have. See, we don't come from junk. Do the, do the history homework. We don't come from junk. We come from kings and queens mathematicians, yeah. chemists. I mean, that's our background, man. That's our DNA. That's who we are. Now, when you let some, when someone who is lost in themselves and we can tell them and teach them and coach them about who they really are, then they'll stand strong and they'll walk forward mm. with no hesitation because we've given them the gift of what? Self-confidence, self-esteem, that it's okay to be you. You know, I'm, I'm just, man, I don't know how much time y'all have, but you know, this I'll is amazing. Another question. No, this, that, that my goodness, you're, Yo. you're putting us on and you can hear the passion. I don't know. If, 
we I can feel the passion. I hope our listeners can feel it too. And I guess I want to pull back there and I want to see like, where did this passion come from? Like, what did your childhood look like? Your upbringing, where are you from to like, cause it seems like this is passion that was birthed. I was born poor and didn't even know it. Mm. Born in a small town called Union, South Carolina. I lived there with my brothers and sisters, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, and my grandmother. In the same house. Wow. With an outhouse. Let me tell you about an outhouse. It builds character. But I never wanted for love or attention. And although I was born in a in a in a state in the 1960s, well, racism was like having breakfast. It happened every morning. You know? But the reality was that I was so attached to a family who demonstrated an unconditional love and that in spite of our circumstances, I never saw anybody cry or be sad. But that's what's in us, man. We have this ability, man, to persevere like no other. I didn't know we was poor until I left Union, South Carolina and moved to North Philadelphia. And I saw everybody had a toilet. I'm like, surely I was poor, <laughs> right? I, but I, I didn't I didn't realize it. But based on the definition of poverty, we were poor. So I come from I come from means, man, that was, you know, a little, you know, we were poor, man. But I leaned in to a grandmother and a family that taught us in spite of what we might endure. I never forget my grandmother saying to me, she said, son, people will meet you and treat you differently simply because of how you show up, what you look like. But she said, look, keep an open mind, open heart, open eyes and open ears. And along the journey, you will meet some people who will love you unconditionally and pour into you. And she was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. There's not enough space for me to fill a room up with a number of people who love me unconditionally because I follow the advice of my grandmother. And that in spite of the difficult times that I experienced, it didn't, it didn't break me. It strengthened me because mm. I refused to have someone else define who I am. And I took ownership and responsibility. Now, I'm not suggesting that I was always a good kid. I made some bad choices. I was a knucklehead for a minute, right? Responded in a certain way because I felt like, you know, where's my dad? I know I have one, but I don't see him as often as I would like to. And then I then I learned my dad's story. Mm. When I understood his story, then I had a different level of respect for my father. So he had to start working when he was, he was barely 10 years old. He lost his mother. He had a big family. Everybody had to work. So I remember asking my father, why do you have three of everything, Pop? He said, because I was a child, it was 11 people around the breakfast table. And I love biscuits, but you could only have one. And so when I got to my, when I, when I grew up and became an adult, and was working for myself, I made a commitment that I will always have three of everything. Because if one break down, I got two left. That was his mentality about living in poverty. That I was going to, I was going to change my life story. And I just had a different level of respect. He had no education. So I understood why he didn't understand me being in college and in graduate school. And he said to me one day, who do you think you are? I want you to just get a job. And my response was like, are you kidding me right now? 
But when I got to know my dad, I understood what he meant. He didn't understand the educational part. He never had it. And he was mm. successful in spite of. Whatever that hustle was, he would never be outworked. And that's something I've learned about us. You, We can show up however you want. You can be bigger than me, stronger than me, uh, whatever it may be, but you won't outwork me. We don't get outworked because we're accustomed to doing extra just to keep up because of the space in which we live in. And so move to North Philadelphia, transition like crazy, right? The rural yeah. South, the inner city of North Philadelphia, 1970s. Wow. You yeah. want to talk about culture shock? You want to talk about a need to adjust one's thinking, how you act and behave? You better if you want to survive. Mm. Found myself moving from a predominantly community of color to a predominantly white community. Another transition. And having to prove myself and protect myself. Because people didn't like me or tried to intimidate me because they didn't know me. And then found myself in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Having to deal with these pockets of relationships that was developed over a long period of time. And be excluded from everything. Be invisible alienated and isolated. And so I saw a sign one day that said basketball trials. I said, watch out. Here I come. The game that I love and the game that saved my life and taught me the game of life. I got into that game and people started to pay attention to me. Although it wasn't enough, I became concerned about, I've always been concerned about more than me. What about the young person who's getting, who's being intimidated and alienated because they have some level of difference? So I ran for Black Student Union president and created an orientation program, very simple. I introduced you to everybody I knew because I didn't want anyone to feel the isolation, the alienation that I did in my first two months of school. But you know wow. what? At the end of the day, it all was intentional. Mm -hmm. Our lives are intentional. Everything that I experienced brought me to this point in my life. See, I'm not easily broken. I'm not easily broken. I got too much to do in a short period of time. I don't have time to be broken. Mm. And so yeah. that's kind of where my, that's my foundation, man. I, I've been in the hole before. I've been poor before. I know what it feels like, right? But also yeah. started my first business when I was about nine years old. I'm walking home from school. Start picking up popsicle sticks. By the time I got home, I had two fists full of popsicle sticks. I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do with these popsicle sticks? Ha, I'm going to make popsicles. I took those sticks into the house, put them in a boiling pot of water and sterilized them. Bought me some packs of Kool-Aid and a bag of sugar. Took my mother's ice trays out, put the Kool-Aid in, laid across some wax paper, punched holes with each of my popsicle sticks. So when it froze, I had a popsicle. And I sold them from my mom's window right after the convenience store closed at 8.30 p.m. I opened up at 8.31 in the summer. And I did that job because I wanted a pair of Chuck Taylors. <laughs> you want to stop slipping and sliding? Get the kind with the star on the side. So I got me some Converse's, but my mom couldn't afford no Converse's. Some Bobo's, perhaps, but not no <laughs> not, Converse's. Not the Bobo's. 
Not no Bobos. I never forget the song Bobos. It makes your feet feel fine, Bobos. It costs a dollar ninety nine, Bobos. I said, no, nah, I'm gonna get me one with the star on the side. Converse, Chuck Taylors. So you were an entrepreneur from from Rip, like such a young age, figuring out like, hey, that's what I want. How do I get there? Well, here's a here's a way to get there. Absolutely right. What's the alternative? Bobos. Yeah. What's the alternative? No change in your pocket. Right. How, how, see, we're we're born creative. Mm. It's once it's once we ignite the reality that's in us that we that we have the capability and the possibilities. Right. Mm -hmm. You've heard people say impossible, right? So I saw someone say to me one time, impossible only exists because the word possible is in it. Focus on the possibility in impossible. Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I found I was a hustler. Yeah. But I was just legal. I sold some popsicles then. Nobody wanted them. I found them on the ground. I got up at 4.30 in the morning to go to this pretzel shop to help vendors fill their trucks where they got goods to take to convenience stores across the city. Right? I just wanted enough money for lunch. You know, the free lunch wasn't all that good. I need some change, man. Mm. Or oh, I pitched quarters. You know what pitching quarters is? No, what's that? It's against the against the flat wall. Oh, Everybody yeah. pitches a quarter. Whoever gets closest to the wall, oh yeah, wins all the quarters. I think I saw I found it, a way, um, man. I found a way. I think I saw Michael Jordan do that on his on his documentary. He got that from me. <laughs> well, you you mentioned you mentioned basketball, right? <laughs> and what I remember being, I don't know what I was middle school, junior high school. I don't know. But I remember you used to put these basketball um, nights together at it was it was at a one of the churches in in Chambersburg, and I remember it was like when you do like only to seven by ones. Yeah, and I remember, remember like that. I remember vividly only going to seven by ones, and it was it would get competitive. But what what was crazy about it is everybody respected you. And you and you brought this type of excellence, black excellence that like, hey, we can get competitive, but what you guys are going to do is disrespect each other. And you're not going to disrespect me. And this is how it is. And I've never played in an environment. I play a lot of basketball now. I've never played in an environment like that. So first of all, I want to say thank you for instilling that in me and instilling that into some of the other black men there. Because like that was. I still I remember that to this day, like vividly. So thank you for that. Well, I, I really appreciate that, brother. Everything I did was intentional. Because mm. here's what I knew. If you played the 16, you play no defense. If you play the 7, you play defense. Because you can be off the floor sitting for the next two, three games. Right? Do, do you do you remember when I used to do this? Uh, I used to call timeout when the, team, when the, when the game was close. Do no, I don't that? remember that. Well, I used to do this. It's called timeouts. Uh -huh. I would pay attention to the score. And, and if they were playing... First one to 16, I would hear that the score is 14 to 15. So mm. it's tight. I said, all right, everybody, time out. Come to the circle. They're like, Brother Worthy, come on. It's... I said, do you want to finish the game? Yeah, I need your divided attention. And I would pose some questions. I'm always teaching. I said, mm. how many of you love this game? All the hands go up. I said, where's the evidence? 
So what do you mean, Brother Worthen? I said, well, would you agree with me that there's areas of your game that needs to be developed? Yeah, I don't ever see you working on any of that. And I give you four hours every Friday. But yet you tell me you love this game. If you love it, why are you disrespecting it so much? Then I pose the question, what does a half kind, half what does a half court line represent? They say half court. I said, no, it's deeper than that. Why do you think it's a half court line and it's it's bold so you don't miss it? Here's why. In the game of basketball, you play defense and offense. The half court line is an indication ahead of time for you to transition the way that you think offensively and start thinking defensively. So as you cross that line, you've been given an indication. It's time to transition. I said, what does the out-of-bounds line represent? They said, out-of-bounds. I said, no. Boundaries. There's rules to this game, like there's rules to life. And we have to learn how to maneuver in the space we've been given. So you should master that out-of-bounds out line so well that you don't have to look down to see where it is because you've mastered where it is. I said, what's a free throw? They said, free throw. I said, is it free? They said, yes. I said, absolutely not. Mm. You can only get through the free throw line because of effort and, and competition. You've decided I, I, I won't be denied. And so people understand, so they got to do what they got to foul you. So a free throw has never been free. You have to earn it. And all these are life principles. So I teach the game of life through the game of basketball. It saved my life mm. in inner city, North Philadelphia. Every day I had a choice to make. Do I go with my homies to where they're going? Or do I go to the center, Cunningham Community Center? on 10th and Wallace, and play the game I loved. And oftentimes, if you was in a league, you got permission not to go somewhere else. They understood. You didn't get as much pressure if you was on a team. Well, here's what I mean. When I didn't go with them and played the game, some of them never returned. They were incarcerated. Something happened to them. So I tell you that the game of basketball saved my life. It saved my life. It gave me an alternative. Wow. Yo, this is so good. Um, yeah. I, I want to transition now to talking about worthy consulting and training. Uh, you all specialize in uh, training uh, companies in DEI work. Um, can you talk to us more about what DEI is and what are some of the um, misconceptions of DEI? Well, DEI, obviously DEI is an acronym, D for diversity, E for equity, and I for inclusion. Um, it's not the boogeyman. Let me just put that out there. Diversity, equity, and inclusion um, is the opportunity to grow an organization in such a way that every individual within it feels a sense of belonging and that they can show up as they have authentic selves and bring to the table a perspective 
a background of experience that oftentimes is not available. So let me be real clear about diversity. Diversity is simply representation. Don't get all excited when an organization says, we have diversity, right? That's just representation. It doesn't mean that they're being included or that there's equity for opportunity to grow, promotion, leadership opportunities, right? So the work that I do is, well, let me back up. Let me tell you what I don't do. I don't go to organizations who wants me to come in and check a box or put on a Band-Aid. That's a waste of my time. Because there's nothing seriously significant about that. Yeah, You're just trying to check a box because there's a policy somewhere that might allow you access to something that you otherwise wouldn't get unless you create some sort of diversity statement. See, I'm not impressed with just a statement by itself. I'm just not impressed. What I'm impressed with, a strategic plan that is being played out and orchestrated where there's metrics, right? Analytics that can define based on what you're doing, what's the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so inclusion is participation. Diversity is representation. You can have diversity and no inclusion. You just got people showing up so you can check a box that you have 5% people of color mm -hmm. or 5% women, whatever that may be. Not impressed by that, right? But are they included? Do they get to sit at the table where decisions are being made? Do they get to articulate a perspective? Do they get the question? Do they get opportunity to, to compete for promotional opportunities? That's inclusion. Equity is this. You can't give us all the same chair. Because if I'm at a if I'm at a small statue, I can barely reach, reach my desk. But if I'm 6'6, six, six, that chair is fine. So giving everyone a chair is called equality. Equity is making reasonable accommodations so that everyone can participate equally. Let me give you an example. If the three of us run track and we're about to compete in the one in the 200 yard sprint, right? And Antonio, he's got this, he's got lane number one. I mean, it's so smooth, man. Not a pothole piece of glass, just smooth, right? Conroy, you got a couple of, well, well you equally have a pretty decent, decent track. I mean, it's got a couple stones, but nothing significant. But my track lane, I got potholes and beer glass. And so people say, well, you all have a lane. Mm. That's equality. That's not equity. Equity means I need that you and I need to have the same track that Antonio has. Now let's get it on. That's equity. So like leveling the playing field. Yeah, so that we have an equal chance to compete against each other. Mm. Don't put a pole, don't put a pothole in my track and expect me to compete just as well. Although historically, in spite of all that, we found ways to succeed anyway. We just we just have this endurance. That in spite of, we won't be outworked. Now, now my passion for DEI is that I know that when people understand it, the true definitions and the true intention about what it can do for an organization, a school district, a college and university, we are creating space that will allow us 
to share our perspectives. And you know what, Antonio, you and I might agree, but let's disagree with great civility. See, I wanna have a passionate, engaged conversation. I wanna be challenged and charged about the way that I think. And in some moments I may rethink something that maybe I never thought about before because I leaned in and listened. See, oftentimes people don't hear each other because they're not listening because they're on the defensive or they're trying to prepare their rebuttal. Well, if you're preparing a rebuttal while I'm talking, you haven't heard anything I've said. And in most cases, the answer you've been looking for has always already been given to you, but you haven't been listening. So you're fighting over something where you've already received the answer to, but you're so con you're so concerned about whether or not you're right or wrong instead of leaning in and having some real authentic conversations about your truth and my truth and where does it intersect and where it doesn't. And let's find out why it doesn't. That's the greatest conversation you could have. We, you know, we agree to disagree. What a wonderful conversation. I'm going to think about what you said. I may come back to you and say, you know what? I thought about that. Never, never gave it a thought. I appreciate that conversation. Or, you know, I thought about it. I'm going to stay where I'm at. I'm feeling real good about where I'm at in regard to that issue. And that's okay. That's the beauty of it. And so organizations, Antonio, I work with colleges, universities, school districts, government agencies, corporations, nonprofits all across the country. And I'll tell you this, organizations who get it for what it really is, and that is creating community where we respect each other, we, we're cordial and courteous towards one another, uh, we charge and challenge one another with dignity and respect and etiquette, that's what DI is. Who doesn't who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be in a space where you can be yourself? So contribute your gifts and talents. Have have brainstorming conversations until we get to a point where we miss nothing. So every decision we make includes the perspectives of everyone, which puts us in a position to always be successful because we didn't miss anything, because we allowed voices at the table. That's the beauty. And those who get it are outperforming their competition four times. Their productivity mm. is going anywhere from five to seven more times productive in the comparison to their competition. A more, more recruitment and retention is increasing. Why? Because people want to belong to an organization that respects their individuality and focus on the gifts and talents that they bring. You ain't got to worry about my tattoo or what I have pierced, or the color of my skin, or my sexual orientation, and the list goes on. What you need to worry about, can I deliver on the promise? Mm. Do I bring value and creativity? Are you going to use my expertise? Why are we concerned about what you look like? And stop saying, I don't see color. Then you can't see. Mm. Let's stop yes. that, right? That's a microaggression. Yes. I don't see color. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's any any intentional malice behind it. Yeah, but it's our responsibility to correct it. Well, all of a sudden things are great if I if I agree with you that you don't see me. I need right. to agree with you that you don't see me for you to care about me, to 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 be with me. It sounds like you know. Uh, listen, uh, Conroy, we're gonna hang out and everything, but I don't see you as black now. We good? Once <laughs> you understand, I don't see you. 
we can hang out. And my right. response is, you know what? This is going to be a good lesson for you. Because when you hang out with me, you're going to find out what life is like for me. Mm. You're going to ask why. I said, because they see me. Mm. Mm. You follow me? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is... This I you, man, brother. We we Tony and I we've had conversations about this a lot. You know, this is kind of what started our podcast. To be honest, you know, you know everything going on with in 2020, and you know Tony being half black and half half white, um, and growing up in a predominantly white town, we've experienced microaggressions our whole life, right? And I I think it's it is something to to be said that. I feel like as black men, we have the cheat code because we, we know how to, we know how to be in white spaces. We know how to be in black spaces. We know how to be with people who might not agree with our religious beliefs because we're just, I feel like, especially us, us three, I could, I could speak for is that we, we are accepting and we, we're, we're, we're able and willing to have those conversations. Like you mentioned, Um, I did want to ask, cause I'm in, a, I'm in my DEI in my, um, organization I work for Orange Theory here in San Diego, and I'm part of our DEI here. What is it like bringing DEI to predominantly white spaces? Because I'm curious to see like your perspective from that, and have you had any pushback or challenges with that? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um. I think it's important to bring it to those spaces because those spaces need it the most. They're not the only spaces that need it. True. Even organizations that may be predominantly of color because mm. diversity is beyond just race. There's a variety of differences that divide us, right? But going into white spaces is important because one, there's a there's a lack of awareness about the realities of microaggressions. There's a lack of understanding about the impact that language and behavior can have on one's psyche or one's experience in their jobs or in their communities. And there's a need for them to move to action. And so I think those are, those are places that we must show up. The majority of my clients are organizations that are usually predominantly white. My job is to create an atmosphere that will allow us to have authentic conversations about the things that make us uncomfortable and define the uncomfortability, define the fear, Define the um, stereotypes and biases that exist in all of us. And let's have a true conversation about that reality. And so keep in mind, as an African-American male, walking into an organization with an all-white audience, I must prepare the room. Mm. I have to prepare the room. And what I mean by that, I need to remove any preconceived notions. I need to already answer the questions that they're already thinking about asking. So when it comes time for me to start, their questions have been answered. The first question is this. 
And I'm not saying they ever said this to me. I just know it. I've been doing it 35 years. First question is, who is this? And why should I be listening to him? So I spend 20, 25 minutes introducing myself from the inside out. Because I need them to get beyond what they see because stereotypes start to surface. Judgments and biases. And so me being in front of the room is already a contradiction. Because mm. we're not supposed to be in front of the room. <laughs> so my very presence is a contradiction. Learning takes place in contradictions. So whatever stereotype you may have had about me or people who look like me, and then I come up front and I handle it, now you got to say, hold on now. I was taught to believe that people like that couldn't speak intelligently, that had uh, the ability to manage a room of 1,500 to 1,000 people. How was he able to do that? Right. So I got to remove those stereotypes. So the contradiction forces them to rethink what they've been believing. Right. That's the idea. How do we get to a place where you establish a certain belief about someone? Where did it come from? And sometimes they can't tell you where it comes from. They've just been socialized to believe certain things about. We've been socialized to believe certain things about one another. We have got to deal with that. And so that's what I do. I talk about the elephant in the room. And let's not avoid it, but I don't disrespect people. In fact, I give people permission to give themselves permission to be imperfect. Because if you think you need to be perfect in this conversation, you're not going to say a single word. Because you're afraid of what you might say. I say, say it. And if it's offensive or whatever, I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. I'll take advantage of the teachable moment. Because I don't expect you to know what you haven't been taught. But once I taught you, there's now this thing called accountability. You can't say I didn't know. You follow me? Mm -hmm. And so, so yes, to your question, we have to do now, now have I have I ever had resistance? Absolutely. Particularly if the training is mandatory. Mm. But in mandatory training, you realize why it needs to be mandatory. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. There's some people, don't get me wrong, there's some people who show up who really want to learn. And there's some people who are just resistant, tight, and not letting go, right? And, and I'm a straight shooter. I'll say to the, Lord, the leadership of the organization, you may find out that through these trainings, there's going to be people who just don't fit. They want to keep things the same way they've always been. And what they don't understand about that was the way that it's always been has been difficult for people to have to endure every day, being intimidated and isolated and alienated, disrespectful, disrespected. So, so you haven't had those things happen to you. That's why it's okay to continue business as usual. But we need to look at the whole community. And not look inwardly, but look outwardly. And so I say to I say to companies who bring me in, you know, at some point you're going to be able to identify those who are no longer fit, because you're moving ahead. Because you want to be an organization that's still around forty years from now. So you you can't afford not to deal with the reality that there are other people who bring a different set of skills and show up differently, and that's a 
that's a that's a value that's an asset not a liability and those that get it are beginning to progress i'm watching it happen in front of me it's been amazing it's a journey let me let's keep in mind this work is not a sprint mm. it's a marathon it didn't take 18 seconds to create this environment it sure ain't going to take 18 uh, seconds to fix it. It's taken decades to create. It's going to take a little time to bring us to a new direction and a new outlook on how we build businesses and schools and colleges and universities for the sake of all of us, not just some of us. I hope yeah. that answered your question. No, that was, oh, yeah, so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good. Um, so... So with all of this work, um, you had somewhat recently started Franklin County Racial Reconciliation. I know I just found out about this back in November. What led you to um, create this organization? And can you talk about the work that you do within the county? Well, the, the, the name is Racial Reconciliation Franklin County, uh, just as a correction. Um, okay. My wife and I was asked by our pastor in 2016 to start a conversation around racial reconciliation because of the, the murdering of African-American men. And that he felt like there was a need to have some discussion and it should happen in the church. That the church should be the people who kickstart this conversation. So that so our pastor at the time asked that we would co-facilitate the whole idea of the conversations. And so we brought in mostly pastors and, and community leaders to our first discussion. It was powerful. I set the ground rules. I, I communicated that we would have some difficult conversations and be prepared to be uncomfortable because here's what I believe. The more time you spend being uncomfortable, the more uncomfortable becomes comfortable. It's part of the process. So we started it and um, make a long story short, we, we had a president a, a president candidate who ended up becoming the president of the United States. That was a shock for a lot of people all across the world. And because of it, it started to create some vibes and we had a meeting shortly after the election, and um, we had a conversation, and some people were uncomfortable. So they decided never to come back again. Most of them were pastors. When I called to ask why, they said, because I felt uncomfortable. Wow. And I said the following, you know, it's interesting that you have the ability that when you're uncomfortable, you can go escape to a safe place. So I don't have that opportunity to simply say, I'm not gonna be uncomfortable anymore. I said, it's, 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 it's sad that someone of your statue and position will run away because they were uncomfortable for 10 seconds. I'm uncomfortable every day sometimes because of who I am and where I live. I said, so it's not a fair excuse. We agreed that it would be uncomfortable at some point. Let's talk it out. 
In fact, I welcome you back. Come and share your perspective. Come tell us how you felt in that conversation. You're welcome. I'm going to be honest with you. They were looking for a way out anyway. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to leave for 10 seconds of uncomfortability, you didn't want to be there from, from the start. And those who stayed and were pastors have been consistently consistent. They have been uncomfortable. They have been made to feel uncomfortable. But they recognize that this work is real and that we have a responsibility. So we have over 500 people who follow us currently in the work that we do. We do a variety of things, Antonio. Um, We're very focused. Our goal is to fight against racial injustices, right? And our job is to make sure that everyone that fights against racial injustice is equipped to do so. So we want to train them, encourage them, teach them to do the work. And it's not the responsibility of just people of color. It's not the responsibility of people of color to, to, to teach white folk, for example, how to talk to their friends about racism and other isms. And so we have, we have several committees. We have an awareness committee where we create space to talk about issues that matter, that need to be addressed. So we hold community meetings where anyone from the community can come in and sit. We'll do a panel, listen and lament, where we bring members of our community to come and tell their testimonies about their experiences with racism. But you can't respond or or interrupt their conversation. That's why it's called listen and lament. You can listen and think about it. Instead of interrupting, saying, you sure that happened to you? Ah, I don't believe that. We didn't want any of that. We wanted you to lean in and listen. The second session was plan, process and plan. Let's process what happened at that first session. Listen and lament. And the panelists can come back and answer questions, share their stories, audience share their stories, how they were, how they were impacted by what they heard. Now plan. What are you going to do about it? Tell us what you're going to do out of the things we've listed. Let's find an accountability partner to hold you accountable to what you said you would do. You see the difference of that? It's not just mm-hmm. a lecture. Mm-hmm. It's a process that gets you to a place that eliminates all the excuses as to why you won't say anything at the dinner table when you listen to people participating in language and behavior that's derogatory. Mm. I need not be present for you to step in the, the, the step into the gap for me and to be a true ally and advocate for racial justice. And so in addition to that, we have an education committee. We wanna make sure that the education system within our community are recognizing all its students, including the black and brown ones, right? Every decision that's being made. And so we talk about that and how we need to apply pressure when necessary, uh, when we see injustices occurring. Now, an injustice doesn't always have to be an act of something terribly bad or nasty, but it, it can be a policy, right? Or it could be it, it could it could be based on demographics. Why are we forty percent people of color in our school district, and there, there might be four students, four teachers of color? There's something wrong with that. If we don't say anything about it, it's business as usual. And so now keep in mind, we always want to communicate that every decision 
that we think is important to talk about is for the betterment of all of us, not just some of us. Mm-hmm. White students benefit from st- teachers of color. Do the research. There's research that will tell you white students, children will tell you how much they appreciated having teachers of color because it provided a whole different dynamic that they never experienced. The only difference is that they teach differently. You're accustomed to having the same kind of teacher to some degree. And to be able to have a variety prepares you for the next level of life. So there's always value. So sometimes we have to make sure um, we as racial reconciliation are asking the difficult questions and demanding the honest responses. We also need to be, we have a a civic engagement committee. We need to start running for office. So when decisions are being made, we have a a voice at the table. We need to be on school boards and councils and we need, to be, we need to be on board of directors for all the different organizations who work with our children, but yet we're not represented when they're making decisions how the best way to work with our children is. And so we do that. And then I, I do a lot of work around economic impact of a committee. My job is to give space for professionals of color and people of color who own businesses. Because the reality is that most of the services in our community don't really look to us with any great intention. And so we're doing a directory. You guys need to get on a directory, by the way. We have a directory of color, professionals of color, and we have a directory, a business directory of people of color who own businesses. What we're doing is professional development training, business development training, Doing business with each other. Mm-hmm. Hello? Look around. That's what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. And they're thriving. We need to learn to do business with one another. And, let me, and this has always been an issue for me. Imagine this. Antonio owns a store. Down the block, it's another store. Both stores are in a black and brown community. Antonio owns a store, and down the block, there's someone else that owns a store. Who's not like Antonio? Antonio is just like the majority of the people that live in the community. Some people will walk past Antonio's store to go to the other store to get ice. How is the ice down the block colder than Antonio's ice? You ever went to an ice and got some warm ice? Where do you buy warm ice? Think about the mentality of that. Sometimes we internalize our own oppression. Hmm. That we have biases, that we believe that I want to get some ice, but do I get it from Antonio? Or do I get it from the store down the street, the one I see on commercials? And historically, I've seen there's something about their eyes. No, we've been we we gotta we gotta come back. We gotta gotta think about that a little more, right? It's when you do business in your community, the dollar stays in your community. The dollar doesn't stay in our community because we don't buy in our community. 
We don't support each other. I'm not saying that, don't get me wrong. I know that I do, and I know a lot of people do, but not at the rate, not mm -hmm. at the level of consistency. Why do you think Chinatown exists and succeed all the time? They do business with each other in their community. The dollar never leaves. Yeah. yeah. That's the power, right? We have a strong buying power, but we don't spend in our own communities and we don't spend with each other. Why should I go 10 miles away, 100 miles away for a service that my brother down the street offers just as brilliant, if not more so? So it's about mindset, right? We've all been socialized to believe certain things and sometimes we internalize that belief against ourselves. And that's why it's important that we know our history. Mm -hmm. People who argue that know the power of knowing your history. Your confidence increases, right? Yeah. You, you become more passionately engaged because you know you come from kings and queens. So you can't be half-stepping because mm -hmm. you realize for the first time in your life that you are a great substance. You have already demonstrated demonstrated who you are and what you're capable of. And when you learn that about yourself, watch out. The competition is real now. But if I can keep you at a place where you know nothing about your history, you're likely to repeat it. Mm. Wow. So... You know what? I, I I appreciate all this. Tony and I actually did a, we did a podcast with um another another fellow, another friend early on when we talked about those same things about, you know, the black dollar or just the dollar in general and like trying to revolve it in black communities. But you said something that was so important that it is a mindset. And I love that what you're doing is with your DEI, with your company, um, is changing the mindset not only in the black community but yes. all communities and Absolutely. i think that's that's the main thing it's not only and um we we love that first of all we just love that you've been on and dropping so many gems so much knowledge um we did want to ask uh, one more question before we transition is i feel like you give so much but i do want to know what does it mean for you to be authentically you You know, I'm blessed and highly favored. I could have been dead and gone a long time ago. But God saw it fit that he wanted to use me. So I live with great purpose. And that purpose is not just individually what I do just for me, but how I show up in the eyes of others. Um, and so the work that I do sometimes can be exhausting but if not now, when? If not me, who? See, I can't call anyone else to be part of the fight if I'm not already fighting. I can't ask people to become part of the solution if I'm not trying to find solutions to the problems. I can't ask somebody to run for office if I haven't ran for office. What I do is a ripple effect. I want people to believe that it's possible, mm. right? 
I want people, you know, I come from poor beginnings. I don't want any pity. I just want you to understand the work ethic that's in me. I want you to understand the belief that I have for myself and for the people that I surround myself with. I know that I have an individual responsibility to create a different narrative for the young brothers that would come behind me. But I also have the responsibility to hold them accountable and to charge them and to have high expectations. I don't care whatever I do, I have high expectations. Here's why. Because you cannot rise to low expectations. Mm. How are you going to rise to something low? No. How are you going to rise to something low? You can't give people low. You can't rise with low expectations. Here's what I tell people all the time. Whatever task I give you, don't let the minimum be your maximum. What I mean by that, hey, I need everybody to get five. Five laps. You ought to do 10. Don't do the minimum. Everyone's doing the minimum. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan didn't do, do the minimum. Arthur Ashe didn't do the minimum. Will Chamberlain didn't do the minimum. Right? You do the maximum. You always do more than what's expected of you. That keeps you out front. We can't be outworked. We can't be outworked. And so I, I do it because I have an obligation and responsibility to pay it for because someone invested in me. And I'm grateful for it. I'm alive because of it. Uh, I live a decent life. Uh, I meet some incredible people. And I get to touch people's lives in the moment. Let, let me say this to you and I'll close, right? And that's this. Whenever I show up, I come to show out. Mm. And what I mean by that, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm going to give you everything I got. And when you leave that space, there will be no excuses for you to transition your life into a new direction. I believe that every time, every time I'm given an opportunity you best believe I'm bringing my A game. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's five people in the room or 5,000 people in the room. So mm -hmm. proud of both of you. Man, I, I can't tell how much I appreciate that you allow me to be a part of something really special. And it's special for me because I'm talking to you two brothers, man, who are demonstrating what's possible. This is just the beginning for you. This mm -hmm. thing's going to explode. You do know that, right? The question mm -hmm. becomes, are you ready? For the explosion. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And if you're not, get ready. Hmm. You're on to something. Thank you. We appreciate Brother, that. Yeah, that that's so good. Um, this time's just been straight fire. Um, but now we're transitioning to the real fire, which is <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> so how this is gonna work. We have three questions to ask you. First thing that comes to mind, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Uh, don't consult your uh, firm. Uh, first <laughs> thing. So hit them with it, Roy. First question, super deep. What superpower do you wish you had? 
to read people's hearts. Mm. Even that's deep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because you, right. you can tell me anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to read your heart. Mm. Mm. That's good. If you were stranded on an island, what three items would you bring? Bible. Seeds that I could plant so I could eat for a lifetime. And and a quote. Um, life by the yard is hard, but life by the inch is a cinch. Man. And the last question is, what was the last book you read? It would have been John Maxwell, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Man. This might be the most wisdom-packed episode we've had, and... Big we facts. appreciate it. Like I, I was just listening and soaking it all in. Like I forgot. I just forgot. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I've, I've had a chance to talk to you or be in your presence. And I was just like blown away this whole time. So thank you so much. Yes. Um, where can people find you? What do you have? What do you have going next? Can people, how can people get in contact with you even even for your, your um, consulting and stuff like that? Well, the one thing that we have next with racial reconciliation, we, we have been doing for the last couple of years, Juneteenth event. And so we, we are in the process of planning the Juneteenth event, which will be June 17th of uh, this year. It's going to be held in the community. Um, I can't think of the name of the street right now, but if you're familiar with um, uh, Network Ministries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be in, on their property. So we're excited that it's going to be in the community and not on the outskirts. Um, yeah. and so Juneteenth is going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate the real freedom mm. of Juneteenth. And so uh, make sure that you participate. There's no cost to that event. We want everyone to participate. Um, in regard to uh, worthy consulting and training. Uh, I'm busy as a beaver right now, traveling back and forth to different clients. But I am I am working on uh, putting together some drive-in workshops where people can drive in from an hour, hour and a half away and spend a day with me around a particular topic. I'm probably going to focus on the crash course on responding to acts of intolerance, um, you know, how to respond to uh, micro, microaggressions. And so be on the lookout for what's coming up next for Worthy Consulting and Training. Uh, my website is www.worthyconsulting.org. You guys heard it here first. Hey, we'll put that all in the show notes as well. Brother Worthy, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes. And until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Bro, we need the fire department to put out all the fire that was just spilled. Yes, because <laughs> I was just sitting in awe, honestly, this whole time, because I'm like, I I personally forgot, right? I, <laughs> I know I know Marvin. We call him Brother Worthy. I know him since when I was like in middle school. And 
I don't know if it's like I forgot or I just took it for granted, but like sitting in those those gyms, hearing him talk, going through those programs, I would say some of that has shaped my viewpoint, especially later in life. And I'm so glad we got we got him on here to share his story. I can't wait to see um, what he does. You know, he's he's in a small town, but like his his wisdom, wild. Yeah, that that's facts, man. Like, even even now, as I'm, you know, sitting with the interview, I don't have one thing that I'm like, oh, this was solid. It all was solid. Um, <laughs> the entire by, time. <laughs> yes, by far the best episode we've we've had. And <laughs> yikes, that bar is high now. <laughs> That bar is high. We've had some great guests, but yes. yeah, yeah, this one was awesome. So, guys, share this before we even go any further. Just share this with one person that you like, think would benefit from it. No, like ten. Trust me, <laughs> the world needs brother worthy. Come on, yeah, yeah. Let, let's 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 get him. Let's get him trending. That'd be great. Yes. Um, you guys know what time it is. It's the time of all times. The quiz of all quizzes. It's the friendship quiz. This is where we ask each other questions, and we decided that this isn't this isn't me versus Tony anymore. This is us learning about each other. So, Tony, I have a question for you. But now that I'm thinking about this, I think I might have asked you this question already. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Yeah, I think I might have asked you this question already. So maybe I'll switch. No, I'm going to ask you anyway. What's my favorite color? Oh, shoot. Did I ask you, you before? I think so, and I forget. But yeah, that's how you know. I'm a bad <laughs> friend. Um, I, I'm going to go with green. I don't think that's right. I should have went with yellow, but green it is. Well, green and yellow are inaccurate. My favorite color is actually orange. Mm, yikes. Yeah, that's okay. We're learning. We're learning. We're growing. We are really learning. <laughs> Guys, uh, this has been awesome. First of all, I'm just still in awe and shock of this past episode. So go back, rewatch it. Um, yeah, until next time, y'all. Be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. Peace out.